Welcome in, everybody. This is the Field of 12 After Dark Big Ten preview show. Got my guy Christian Hackenberg, his Big Ten freshman of the year, played some years in the NFL. My guy Jake Butt, who is an All-American tight end at Michigan. I am just Joshua Perry. I was known as a nice guy. Made a few tackles in my time at Ohio State as we won a national championship. But fellas, football season's right upon us. How are we feeling? Feeling good, man. Josh, I am, uh, you know, I've been in a whirlwind of traveling right now. We're all on Zoom. So behind the, the computer is a bunch of boxes. So for me, it's kind of like my football season. The guys that are in camp, they've had their head down. They know they don't know what day of the week it is. They've just been grinding. Soon they're going to come up for air. That's kind of what I'm doing this weekend. I'll be your neighbor in Chicago at the end of the weekend. That's when I'll come up for air. But I'm in that I'm in that camp mindset right now myself. Zach, how's it going? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say the same. I think I'm just happy to be back, Josh. Bouncing off a good year last year and, uh, you know, plugging away. And I think we got some good stuff for the folks listening tonight. No, I'm definitely glad that we're all here. This is actually a really good group of people. We're all under 30. We were all pretty good players here in the Big Ten as we preview the season again, the Field of 12 After Dark presented by Bet Rivers. But we got a lot to get into. We're going to talk some Ohio State. A lot of people think that is national title or bust in Columbus. We'll give you our thoughts on that. We'll talk Michigan, and we got a Michigan guy on the show in Jake Butt, so he'll give us some insight into that program. The reigning Big Ten champs also made it to the college football playoff for the first time in program history. Also, some sleepers in the league, and uh, tell you what, I think that the East, we kind of know who's going to shine there. Might be a couple of teams that are on the rise, but the West right now, I'm telling you, a lot of parity, so we'll dive into that, and we got a lot more coming up but let's get started with the Ohio State Buckeyes now again a team that I talked about that could be a college football playoff team could win a national title this year and it starts with the quarterback position of course we know CJ Stroud is going to be back went for over 4,400 yards and 44 touchdowns a year ago he's going to be throwing to Jackson Smith and Jigba who's another great player we know that by his Rose Bowl performance he led the Ohio State receivers last year in yards with 1606 nine touchdowns on top of that you got Travion Henderson in the backfield from the offensive standpoint, and that's your side of the ball, guys. So I'm gonna let you dive right into it. When you look at the collection of talent that Ohio State has, when you look at the returning production that's gonna be coming from some of these really good skill players, I mean, is this going to be the best offense in college football? I certainly think it can be. And and they it felt like that was the case last year. Of course, you lose Garrett Wilson, you lose Olave to the NFL draft. But what Ryan Day and, and Coach Brian Hartline have done there is it feels like when someone would go down, another NFL, they, they're kind of cut from the same mold. They just have NFL guys on the sideline. And it's recruiting the talent, but then Coach Hartline has done a good job of developing the talent. And the scheme has allowed the talent to showcase their full abilities. Jackson Smith and Jigba, I would say, is my favorite to be the best receiver in the country this year. He can do it from the slot. He can do it outside. He can do it running underneath shallow routes and, and uh, choice routes. And he can go down the field and make plays. And then, of course, they got Marvin Harrison Jr., a guy who, you know, he made the freaks list this year as a guy that could be one of the best athletes in the country. Travion Henderson to round it all out. I have no concerns and no worries about the Buckeye offense this year. Um, Hack, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Josh, we've talked about it a lot. I think Ohio State's one of those few programs that has done a very good job of keeping a standard of uh, earn what you get, um, next man up mentality, come in, work, and they've been able to keep that talent in the building, especially with the transfer portal and the NIL and all these things coming up, um, coming up to the surface. 
I think they've done a fantastic job of that, and that's a testament to it. Even though Wilson and Olave are gone, to your point, Jake, they're going to reload. I thought they were seven deep last year, guys. That could be one or two across the entire conference. So um, really excited for that. And I think C.J. Stroud, his performance speaks for itself. Even the games they lost last year, he played spectacular in most of them. Um, you know, tough to throw for 400 yards against an Oregon team and lose. And he did that over and over again. So um, I think that defense has really done a good job of shoring up. I thought they figured some things out towards the end of the year last year. Um, got a little bit more reps under their belt. And I think that that's going to be a big part of it. But ultimately, I think this team's geared up and ready to go. And it's 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 been that that way for quite some time now. Um, and I think that's just a testament to how Ryan Day has, has taken over Urban's program and, and kept, a, kept a consistent standard of excellence in the building. Yeah, I'll get to the defensive side of the ball here in a sec, but just talking about those wide receivers. And, and Jake, you mentioned Jackson and what he provides just from a skill standpoint. Um, and you talked to the guys last year and you asked them about who was the best wide receiver just in terms of athletic ability. And they all said Jackson Smith and Jigba, which is crazy considering the guys that they had. But I agree with you. His, he is effective in every level of the football field. And especially when he gets out in the open field, he's such a nimble athlete that he's a glider. He doesn't look like he's really moving that fast, but he's eating up a lot of yards as he goes. So um, it'll be a different adjustment for him to be the feature, the number one wide receiver. But we saw what he could do last year just in terms of his ability to rack up yards. But Marvin Harrison Jr. becomes a really interesting one to me. And I've, I've had a chance to watch most of the teams in the Big Ten practice up to this point. Uh, with my work on the Big Ten Network. And Jake, you're going to be a part of the crew this year. Really excited about seeing what you're going to do there because I know you're going to be great. But Marvin is a guy who is a long wide receiver. But you start to look at his proportions. And the dude has an extremely long torso. So when you start to get into the sports science of movement skills, he has a lower center of gravity. And so a lot of times when wide receivers are getting in and out of breaks, they're taught to sink their center of gravity because you can turn a lot better like that. I was a high lever guy, could not turn. That was one of the things I got knocked on on the draft. That's why I wasn't a great player. Uh, But he's a guy who proportionally, he has shorter legs for somebody of his height. And I think that works out to his advantage because you watch how crispy is getting in and out of routes, got really good ankle flexion. It's a wild thing to watch. Um, This running back room, and we'll get to one of the injuries that happened with Ohio State's running back room later on. Travion Henderson, though, came in as a freshman, got a ton of carries, um, probably needed a little bit more help on that offensive line. I know that was a, a big point of emphasis. They made a coaching change and brought in Justin Fry from UCLA to coach up that offensive line group. This is a guy right now who I look at, and not only does his running ability stand out, but he was a weapon out of the backfield, and I think they could do that a little bit more. But then you've got a guy in Mayan Williams who actually averaged more yards per carry than Travion Henderson did last year. And I think that one-two punch is going to be really important for this Ohio State team. We know that they're going to be able to throw the football. That's not a question. You've got probably the best returning quarterback. You can make a case for Bryce Young down there at Alabama. But the fact of the matter is you can't be one-dimensional. And so for me, offensive success for Ohio State looks more like balance. Last year, they weren't as balanced as you would want to see them. When you have those types of players at the running back position, you got to use them in a way that's really effective. We saw what Michigan did with the run game. We see what Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota like to do in the run game. And I think Ohio State can display that type of toughness when they need to as well. Josh, I want to go back to something you said real briefly because you're making a few good points. But the lower center of gravity, actually, it's a funny story. When, uh, you know, after we had two head coaches there, Vance Joseph was our first head coach, and that came with the strength coach. 
Well, then when Vic Bangio came in, they brought in Lauren Landau as the strength coach. And the details that go into football, Landau, he shakes my hand. It doesn't say anything to me. He kind of looks, looks me up and down, and he's studying me. He's like, short legs, long torso. He's like, yeah, you got good area, uh, short area quickness. So it's funny that you say that, man. I th- think the same thing, that lower center of gravity really helps you in terms of your ability to run routes. Um, but you bring up another good point about using the running backs. And a lot of people talk about Travion Henderson's talent. And I think he is extremely talented, but you have to understand what Ohio state wants to do. And I say, they're going to lean much more heavily towards passing the ball. There's going to be more games where they air it out 45, 50 plus times than they do turn around and give off 30 carries. Now this shouldn't matter for their offense as much because their offense is going to put up points against anybody. But from an identity standpoint, as you're going through spring and camp and as you look at the defense, you know, the defense needed to step up from a physicality aspect. They kind of got pushed around by Michigan last year. But when you're going through camp and spring, you're going against your offensive identity against your defensive identity. So when you are a pass happy offense, it's less opportunities to emphasize the physicality needed to have a violent front seven. So that's something. And you were able to watch them at practice. Um, this past week as you've done your tour with the with the Big Ten. But if you're going against a pass-happy offense all camp, where's the opportunity to emphasize a violent front seven that's going to say, hey, we're going to plug the holes and we're not going to let Michigan run all over us again? Yeah, I mean, they went with a, a heavy nine-on-seven period in practice, which I was glad to see. But I totally agree with that standpoint, just as a guy who played on the defensive side of the ball. In this day and age, you have to be able to run and hit, and it's important to get the the reps on angles and um, how the ball travels through the air, different route combinations you're going to see against the different coverages that you like to run. But, I mean, when you break down football just to a fundamental standpoint, run the ball, right? Like, that's the thing that we all grew up on. That's why we came to play in the Big Ten, most of us, is because we appreciate that brand of football. Um, And so I definitely agree with that. I think that it was probably a point of emphasis during – Uh, spring I certainly saw it in training camp but you're right like and and this is not a knock on Ryan Day but he's a former quarterback I think he calls the game like a quarterback he likes to pass and I understand because you got a great quarterback and some great receivers but that run game in the reps that you get in practice are totally pivotal Um, hack I I wanted to ask this question to you because I I love getting into this and we spent some time last year talking about quarterbacks and mechanics and what makes a quarterback great when you flip on the tape of C.J. Stroud and you watch him compare it to other quarterbacks, not only in the Big Ten, but nationally, what do you see out of his game that has made him so effective? I think last year it was great seeing his maturation process. He really had some opportunities in the spotlight early, especially that Oregon game, and you really saw him take advantage of those opportunities. Now, it didn't necessarily work out in his favor, and again, we've, we've beat a dead horse with that. There were a lot of factors that went into that. But I think, um, obviously – the frame, going back to kind of the, the comment that you guys were talking about, I think he he can sustain at his size. Um, I think he can make any type of throw that you need to make. Um, and I think Ryan Day does a great job of, although there's going to be lots of opportunities for them to play matchup football because of the talent they have outside, he still does force some type of progression game into into their um, into into their into their uh, philosophy offensively from a passing standpoint. And you even saw that with Justin Fields. That was one of the knocks they talked about. But Justin Fields did the same thing. You saw him getting to two, three, and four a lot of times on tape. So 
I think CJ's done a great job of that. And really, you know, I just look for that kid to stay healthy, continue to do what he's been doing, grow, learn from a guy like Ryan Day who has NFL experience and, um, you know, continue to continue to show what he can do. And, and he's he's to me, he's one of the top three guys in the country. And they're all interchangeable at, at, at this point for me. Mac, I'm, I'm kind of curious from a quarterback standpoint um, and, you know, kind of putting yourself into C.J. Stroud's shoes to go back on the emphasis of running the ball is I, yeah. I'd imagine C.J. Stroud feels confident. You know, he would probably want to throw the ball 100 percent of the time because he feels that confident in his ability to make his reads and hit his, his hit his receivers. And he feels confident in the, the um, massive wealth of talent he has at the receiver position that they can air it out for 700 yards if they had to in a game. But yeah, from a quarterback's perspective, does it ever go through your mind that, hey, we need to emphasize physicality, which means. Hey, coach, let's let's mix in a couple extra runs throughout practice and throughout camp just to form that identity and touch it throughout camp. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's been something that Ohio State's done. You know, maybe last year it didn't look that way, but the ability to finish games and turn around and hand the football off and then even earlier on in the games, if you can set the mm -hmm. standard early and be in those second and manageables, which will then put you in those third and manageables and staying on schedule that everybody talks about, it's a huge part of the game. And, and, you know, Josh, you talked about it. it, it if you can turn around and hand the ball off for three and a half yards, every time yep. uh, you're going to win the football game, you're going to own the tent, you're going to own the time of possession and you're going to keep moving the sticks. So Ohio state's always had that. I think, you know, the game situations last year took it out of them. A lot of times they were trying to go match for match play from behind. And to your point, Josh, as a quarterback, you're thinking of ways how to create explosives, especially when you got all those toys outside. I mean, you got a bunch of Ferraris running around out there. You're going to figure out ways to create explosives in a, in a sexy manner, as opposed to just turn around and hand it off. I think day is going to do a great job this year of understanding what his team's built. Like I think Travion got um, some, uh, another young guy, some really good reps last year. And um, I think they're going to use that in their favor much more. I, I, I think Ryan day is too good of a football coach to overlook that. I, I certainly agree with that. Before we get off of Ohio State, I want to talk about this uh, this defense real quick because last year it certainly did not meet standards for what Ohio State wanted to be. You look at some of the bigger games that they played in against Utah in the Rose Bowl, even though they cleaned some things up, they gave up a lot of points, over five yards per carry in the run game. And then against uh, Oregon and Michigan, each they gave up over seven yards per carry in the run game. Again, going back to that physicality, certainly something you don't want to make a habit of. And they made a change, a big change on the defensive side of the ball. The only remaining coach from last year's staff is Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach, who's done a pretty good job there. But they bring in Jim Knowles, who coached a top five defense at Oklahoma State. And uh, he's a guy who's made it clear that he was able to do that with three, uh, three and below star players on that defense. Now he's working with some four and five stars. I don't know how much you guys have, have really gotten into the tape on what Jim Knowles likes to do. It is extremely chaotic. You don't yeah. know where the safeties are coming from. You don't know if the linebackers are going to be running through gaps. You don't know where that extra rusher is coming in the pass game. And I certainly like the aggression of it. But one thing that I have taken away from that defense is that it, it's so risky that it leaves you exposed for explosive A lot of risk plays reward. as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, they cut guys loose in the back end and, and just you hope that you hit the quarterback or you confuse him to the point where he yeah. can't find the open guy. Um, I'm expecting a lot of improvement out of this Ohio State defense. I think it really cuts some great athletes loose. At the same time, I think that uh, starting off with Notre Dame is probably tough 
because there is a learning curve. And I've gone through those defensive changes where you go from one system to another, and it takes a little bit of time in real game action to get it flowing. Uh, if Ohio State can put together a defense and, and, you know, Ryan Day said he expects top 10. Jim Knowles says he wants top five. Not exactly sure they're going to get there this year, but let's say it's a top 20 or top 30 defense. Is that enough to get Ohio State over the hill and potentially win a national title? I kind of want to touch on something real quick, though, about Josh Knowles, um, you know, Josh and top 30, top 20. I don't know that they win a national title with with that level of defense. They need to probably have a top 10, top five, because, you know, that's what Bama's expectations are. Even though Georgia lost a lot of uh, ball players, they're reloading real quickly. And Jim Knowles did have that at Oklahoma State. But you mentioned the com- the complexity, the complexity of the defense. And understanding college is you have a limited amount of hours in the week to install this. Well, you have to go back and look at the totality of his time at Oklahoma State. They weren't top five. They built to that over the years. So those installations build up with a limited time scale in college. So now he's four or five years of installing this system. There's veteran players that are able to play much faster within the scheme. If it's a complex system, it's hard to get up to full speed right away, and you can get gashed. They have the talent on offense, but how quickly can he teach these guys his system so they avoid the big mistake in the big games? And he's going to need to do it quickly because he's got Notre Dame, a highly ranked team, right away. But if they want to win the national title, I think they can get to the college football playoff. But if they want to win the title, they do need a top 10 at a minimum and probably a top five defense. Hack, what do you think? Here's here's the funny thing. I think they're returning eight starters on defense. They had a lot of guys play. And that was one thing that I talked about with you last year is the youth on that side of the ball. It's some, they've always had a couple marquee guys. And I think last year they really didn't have that marquee. This guy's, you know, they had two or three guys who were locked top 10 draft picks. I don't think they really had that last year. But what they did have is a lot of young guys get a lot of experience. And to your point, Jake, I think the change in schemes, one thing, and something we were talking about right before we got on here is about a coach's conviction versus their ability to learn and adjust. Right. And I think there's enough heads in that building who've been around the game a long long enough time where you have eight returning starters who kind of know how they're going to play together. They've got a whole year of tape under their belt. That's a plus. How can we put them in the best situations to be successful? I think if Ohio state can do that early, figure out what they do really well and then add on as the year goes on, I think they can be that team. And I really do look for them. I think the whole experience last year was a great experience for this football team. Mm. Tough losses in it to the end. Um, Some things didn't work out. And again, it goes back to just the standard in that building. I think there's enough heads in there, and I think they really do come out and put it together and they make a run at it. Yeah, I'll I'll disagree with Jake here. I think that they could have a – top 20 to top 30 defense and they could still win a national title if their offense remains healthy through the year. I just think there's too much firepower. We see what this game is yeah. nowadays too, where, you know, it's, it's, it's really about scoring and runs. It's almost like basketball to a certain extent when it comes to that, but I'll be curious to see how this thing shapes up. The other thing too is, is if you're going to, if you're going to be that run and gun risk reward confused guys, you know, you gotta, you gotta take advantage of turning the ball over and some short fields and it could play, it could play into their run and gun offensive mentality as well. So Mm -hmm. there's, I think it's just, we got to see what happens. And I think that Notre Dame matchup is going to be interesting too with Notre Dame kind of shaking some things up. I know it was an internal promotion, but you know, I think it's going to be a little different and I'm, I'm excited to see how Ohio state comes in prepared for that. 
Yeah, I mean, storylines for that Notre Dame game, too. You've got Marcus Freeman, who's a great linebacker at Ohio State, who's on that staff. You got their defensive line coach in Al Washington, who was on Ohio State staff last year. He was a coach at Michigan. Jake is familiar with his work. Uh, you've got Brian Mason, who was a GA at Ohio State, worked directly with the linebackers when I was there. He's a special teams coordinator. And a guy named James Laurinaitis, who was an All-American, wow. really good player in the NFL. Just a guy. Defensive staff as well. <laughs> uh, so a lot of Ohio State connections and some pretty damn good coaches, too. Uh, but I want to switch it over to Michigan, the team that we should be talking about because they are defending Big Ten champs. They made it to the college football playoff. This is a team last year that exceeded expectations for a lot of people. I didn't think that they were going to be able to get over the hump, and that's not just my Ohio State bias. I wasn't sure if that team was going to be able to galvanize the way that they did, and they made a huge splash. I think a big part of that, and Hack, me and you talked about this a lot last year, Cade McNamara took a lot of crap because he's not that explosive quarterback. He's never going to be all world, but he was a guy who knew how to manage the game. He made the right passes, didn't get sacked a ton, didn't turn the football over. They were able to hand the ball off, something that we talked about that Ohio State couldn't do with consistency. And defensively, they played really well. But now you're coming into this season, and there's a question of, do we go with Cade or do we go with J.J. McCarthy, the young explosive quarterback who we saw in spurts last year, made some really good plays, but also had some young mistakes. When you look at the running back room, Hassan Haskins was really good. He's gone, but you got uh, Quorum coming back. You got Donovan Edwards, who I think is going to be a really good addition there. Offensive line. Lost some pieces right there, but you get some guys healthy at wide receiver, and then you flip it over to defense. New coordinator on that side of the football. No Aiden Hutchinson, no David Ajabo, no Chris Hinton, no uh, Josh Ross, no Dax Hill. Bunch of really good players for him. So Michigan team has some questions coming into this season. Jake, I'll ask this to you, and I'm very curious to get your authentic response. Was 2021 a fluke for the Michigan Wolverines? I don't think it was a fluke. I thought it was um, kind of a turning point where, you know, Jim going into that season after the COVID season, a lot of people wanted Jim to be fired. Michigan fans included, mostly Michigan fans wanted him to be gone. They wanted to start fresh and with his back against the wall. You know, there was a fork in the road. Jim made some big time decisions. He went a lot younger with the staff, you know, mm -hmm. guys that were, you know, where he was typically older NFL guys, more experienced guys. He went younger that were able to communicate with the players, even the way he carried himself, the way he communicated with his assistant coaches and the players. It felt like the team kind of took a tough situation where they adopted this us against the world mindset. And it really paid dividends for them down the stretch. And the key word is getting the monkey off the back. You know, I talked to some of the guys and, you know, even you always believe you could beat Ohio state, but Going into the game, it's like, hey, man, like we actually have to do it to fully believe it. And they said now that they beat them this past season, that they feel confident, like, hey, listen, they, they David's finally slayed Goliath. We can beat these guys. Offensively, they have a bunch of talent. The quarterback battle, you know, they can't go wrong with either guy. You, you have two great running backs. You return three offensive linemen, and you go out and get a Remington Award finalists in Olu Oluwatimi at center. Yeah. So they feel great about the offensive line. I think they have one of the best offensive line coaches in the country in Sharon Moore. This might be their most talented receiver room they've had in a very, very long time. But again, I think it comes down to the coordinators too, is Josh Gaddis, you know, he had his best season as a coordinator last year, but he had been the, the Michigan coordinator for a few years. It took him a couple years of calling plays to kind of find his rhythm and find well, his let me, identity. Let me 
let me jump in on that real quick because the, the rhythm and identity thing I, I believe is really interesting. And Hack, you spent some time around uh, Gaddis, yep. I believe. Uh, yeah, he was he, our receivers coach. Good. He's a he's a guy who I felt like uh, philosophically was a little bit at odds with what Jim Harbaugh likes to be where Josh Gaddis talked about being a little bit more wide open and, and trying to get athletes in space a little bit more. And Jim Harbaugh's a guy mm. who I think is perfectly content with winning the game in a phone booth, which is totally fine because it is effective. Uh, do you think that them having more of a collaboration, because I think we saw a little bit of both of it last year was one of the turning points that that program had. Oh yeah. I, I, I felt you, you, that's a great, great point and a great observation is, you know, Jim had had so much success doing it his way. And, you know, I think Gaddis was finally trying to he finally compromise with Jim where it's like, hey, we're going to run the ball, but let's modernize that. And you saw that with more jet sweeps, wide receiver motions. It wasn't just power offense out of 22 or 12 personnel, which is two tight ends or, you know, a tight end and a fullback, they were able to get into 11 personnel with extra receivers or just stay in 12 personnel with the threat of a pass and have a number of different ways to beat you in the running game. So it was a, a combination of the best of both worlds. And again, that kind of speaks to the changing temperament of Jim where, you know, he allowed, he, he did do that dance where he wanted to have it his way because he know it works but he allowed and listened to his coaches so they could come to the best solution for everybody. Hack, I got a, a, a two-point question for you here. The first yeah. one is, if you're a quarterback who's in the midst of a battle, what is your mentality like? Um, how are you trying to not only put your best out on the field every day, but win the locker room as well is the first question. The second one is, if you're sitting there and you're calling this offense and you get the final call on who should be the starter this year, based off of what you've seen, who do you think they should go with? Well, that's interesting because I think it ties into your the first question, last year being a fluke or not. I'm not going to say last year was a fluke. I just think it was a perfect storm of a lot of compromise and a lot of of the right pieces, right? I think Cade, if they can run the football as effectively as they did last year, I think Cade's perfectly fine. And I don't I don't know how you bench a guy who won consistently like that, no matter what the situation is. You know what I mean? I think you still have to roll him out there and see what happens. But again, there's been so many different circumstances that have changed that that's going to be a really interesting one to peg on. And I, I would argue that although last year was a huge year for Jim Arba, I think this year is even bigger because mm. of all of that change and all of that mm. influx, because he did set the standard now. And at a place like Michigan, when you set that standard, you have to carry it on. It's just like any of the other schools that we played at as well. When you set a certain standard at that place and you raise the expectation to where it has been, that's where it is. To answer your question about a quarterback battle, I really think that winning the locker room and performance on the field work hand in hand at yeah. the end of the day all those guys are going to look at you and if you're a guy who knows what you're doing can operate can move the ball up and down the field can correct guys when they need questions asked in the huddle things of that nature just being taking ownership of the entire operation uh i think that's invaluable and i think that's one of the things where if i'm evaluating the situation it is really hard to to bench a guy like Cade mcnamara who's been doing that and did it at a high level um to your point though JJ's got a ton, a ton of God-given talent. And he got a lot of opportunities last year, relatively speaking, for a young guy in that type of situation. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And that's why I said I think how Jim Harbaugh handles all of this is going to tell a lot moving forward as to his longevity at Michigan and the direction of the program moving forward. 
the, the big year comment really stands out to me because I, I certainly agree with that. And part of the context of that too is Jim Harbaugh has his best year at Michigan and then flirts with going to the NFL. And you have to come back in and you have to face your locker room. And I know that he's a guy who could do that 100% because the speech when you walk back in, if you're Jim Harbaugh is, hey, I'm here for you guys. Uh, you know, I, I think you guys understand what we were up against situationally. Um, and, and now I'm back and I want enthusiasm unknown to mankind. And I know that Bro. the guys really are bought into that. It, let's, it's be tough, honest, like, let's be honest, let's be honest, let's be honest, though. Let's be honest, though. Dude, dude took a pay cut. Dude yes. took a pay cut to 100%. stay there. And then he went out and won. So you got to you got to think there was a little bit of politics being played with that NFL move. Oh, yeah, I, it probably was. But these cats are, are the, the players are business people, too. We got NIL going on. They understand. Yeah. They should understand that. They, they should. should and so that's that. why they, he should be able to walk back in and say, listen, <laughs> I thought about making a business move. Didn't work out in, in that regard, but I'm here and I want to repeat what we did last year. And if I'm hey. a player and I'm mature enough, I can understand that. If you got some immature guys and then you got to, you know, you got to massage that a little bit, but the grown yeah. men in the locker room are going to understand. And, and if they want to play in the league, they got to get used to that too, because that happens all the time. Talking you know, to the guys, in, talking to the guys in the locker room, man, I, I don't think, you know, it was a big story when it was a big story, but man, so much time has passed. They are, they went and had their ceremony. They handed out their big 10 rings. They yeah. hugged Jim Harbaugh yeah. after that, man. It, it's, it's behind them, you know? So it's, it's kind of yesterday's news. It's a good Winning point. Here's all sickness. Yeah. It's Listen. a good point, but my, my boy wanted to get some of that, some of that pay, payroll. I'm sure back. You want to get the cheddar. Look, I want to get think the some ha- Yeah. Some leverage. My guy needed some of that payroll back. I mean, it hurt their recruiting. At yeah, one point, look, they had the, the the worst recruiting class in the Big Ten going into the but Is that a big deal anymore? classes are always a slow build, though. I feel like that's they are, typical. But they should not have the worst bi- uh, recruiting class in the Big Ten after beating Ohio State. And they're they're coming back they're up. Choosy. But to me, it was, a, it was a missed opportunity. Yeah. But is know? that a big but deal it, anymore? Is what? that a big deal anymore? With the transfer classes. portal? Because you can go to the is transfer portal. a big deal portal? anymore? It's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. I don't think it's a big deal anymore. If you yeah. can go out there and just hand pick stuff, I mean, shoot, I'm coaching yeah. high school ball now, man. It's hard to get kids a look. Yeah. You're seeing guys who are like, I shoot, I'm just gonna keep a relationship with this guy. Right. And if he doesn't go play, right, doesn't get paid enough, you know, hey, this is how it's gonna work. So that's another dynamic, man. And you saw Mel Tucker do that yeah, to he a T last year. Yeah, he did. And yeah. we'll talk about them coming up here on the show. Uh, before we get off of Michigan, though, we gotta talk defense. Uh, yeah. Again, this is a unit that I had a ton of respect for a year ago, and I, re- I ran through the names of the guys that were a part of that defense and, and just the way that they continued to build throughout the year, the way that they got the big plays exactly when they needed them, the way that they bowed up in the face of some really good offenses stood out to me. But you lose a lot of the guys that were out there really uh, mm-hmm. leading the charge on that defense, not only production wise, but leadership wise. I mentioned leadership. a guy named Josh Ross. And I think that he was one of the, the most dependable leaders in the Big Ten Conference a year ago. You also lose Mike McDonald, and he worked some magic on that Michigan mm-hmm. defense. And he was absolutely phenomenal, right guy at the right time. As a, uh, in that locker room, how are they going to reconcile with the losses that they had on the defensive side of the ball? The leadership is a point that, that doesn't get taught, uh, talked about enough because Aiden Hutchinson was a captain. He was your vocal leader. After they lost the Michigan State game, that was a big point in the season. He called everybody into the locker room after Monday practice and got them refocused and squared away because I know Michigan fans, the media, everyone is saying, oh, here we go again. The leadership yep. was huge. Josh Ross, leader. Daxton Hill, 
Yeah. Secondary. He was a leader. Mike McDonald, obviously such a good leader. The Ravens want him back as they're trying to run for a Super Bowl. So um, the leadership is a big piece. They're saying Mozzie Smith is a guy that's stepping up. But, uh, you know, just, just listening to the comments throughout the program, they feel as though this year the defense – the, the scheme as a whole is going to shine rather than saying, hey, we're going to have Hutch and Ojabo come up off the edge, disrupt guys. We're going to be able to get more into that Baltimore Ravens scheme where there is some more exotic blitzes and coverages. And that's going to allow us all 11 guys to play unit wide defense. And that's what's going to shine through this year. Back. We'll see. I mean, that's, I think, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, I think you make a great point, but it, when it's hard when you set a standard of leadership and those guys are now gone and you don't know how it's necessarily going to reverberate throughout the rest of the locker room. Right. Yeah. And I think when you have so, so many passionate leaders that in terms of setting a standard, Again, it goes back to the question mark of does that does that message continue to reverberate within that locker room? Did it stay there? And are guys going to take advantage of that and continue it moving forward? And that's why I said I think this year, for me, if I'm looking at Jim Harbaugh, I think this year is his biggest year, top to bottom, how he handles everything. Because he has so much good going for him, but he also has a lot of question marks that he needs to get answered. And the only way you answer that is, is, um, is, is by running the ship and driving it in the right direction. They have a favorable um, schedule this year, though, Josh. They do. Yeah. They have a very uh, – yeah. and the out-of-conference lines up where you're trying to figure yeah. out your identity and your new leaders. That it's it sets a up. very, very favorable schedule. Penn State, Michigan State at home, you know, favorable crossover games. It, it sets up. I, I totally agree with you on that. I think that they've got every opportunity to work out whatever issues may exist early on in the year. You mentioned some of the home games against some of the teams in the East that we think are going to be competitors – it certainly sets up for them. And I'll be curious to see, too. I'm with Hack. I'm in wait-and-see mode. I'm actually going to watch some practice tomorrow. Don't know how much we're going to get because uh, it seems like it's going to be a quick practice. But um, I'm, I'm curious to be informed about what they've got going there. Before we move on, if you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't like what you're hearing, make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. But I wanted to get into some of the sleepers. Uh, in, in this conference, we know what the East powers are like. But we got some teams that are lurking. Over in the West, it's wide ass open. And we're going to talk mm -hmm. about some of the battles that may go on because I know we got some thoughts about the West here. But starting off in the East, Hack, it's your time. I mean, yeah. is Penn State, are they, are they going to return to form as that team in the East that can challenge Ohio State, that team in the East that's going to get a win over Michigan and put themselves in position or do you see some of the same issues that we've seen in the last couple of years that might pop up again? Listen, I think, I think they were there even before Michigan showed their head up until last year. I think they were there. Right. But I think again, and I beat this horse and we talked about it before we came on air here. It it's last year. They could not run the football and the minute mm. cliff went down, all of the gadgety kind of like one-off, game plans that came into it just didn't work out because you didn't have a guy pulling the trigger who was super comfortable with that and obviously didn't have a ton of reps at it. Right. So um, that's a big point. I think they got some depth at that position. Now I think that shores some things up. I think Cliff's very confident and obviously, you know, has, has some, uh, has some stuff to build on this year. I thought they did a decent job in the transport. I think their receiver room has the ability to not take a step down really after good. losing Dotson. I love the Mitchell Tinsley kid. I think he's going to yeah. be really good. Parker Washington's um, Parker Washington's fun. He's a great player. And I, I just the way he's matured. So I think there's things that play into their schedule. 
um, or that play into their ability to do it. But I think it's going to ultimately uh, fall on the coaching staff. You know, they got to they got to figure out a way how to put these guys in situations to be successful, create an identity and run with it throughout the year. Um, you know, defensively, I thought Manny Diaz was a great ad. Um, I think he's a great football mind. I think they have some returners there that are going to that are going to be able to to adjust to that change. But ultimately, I'm still like with Penn State, I'm still in a wait and see. And I think that the one thing that's been missing there for a really long time has been the ability to turn around and hand the football off with the exception yeah. of Saquon, who's a once in a generation talent at the end of the day, when you cut through all the BS, he is, um, you got to be able to run the football. And at a place like Penn state, you definitely have to be able to run the football with the history that comes into that. So yeah, that's where I, that's what I want to see. I want to see them be able to turn around, take some pressure off cliff and just let him operate in off of play action and, 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 in a veteran type of role where he can, he can make some explosives um, without as much pressure. That run game is a, a legit problem. I want to read this stat yeah. to you. Uh, Penn state second to last in the big 10 in uh, average per carry. Uh, the mm -hmm. last team was Purdue. And we know that they don't even attempt to run the football. Right. Um, so that's a really tough spot to be in their longest touchdown run Penn state last season was seven yards. That's a staggering number when you really start to think about it, and especially a program like Penn State. They just have not been able to get that O-line together. Jake is a guy who evaluates offensive football. You came from a tough and rugged type of system. Um, outside of just having better players, how do you build an offensive line so they can go out there and create the gaps when they need to run the football? Yeah, I think the uh, another factor outside of running the ball is, is Sean Clifford's been great when he's been healthy, you know, so yeah. keeping him on his feet and clean in the pocket is only going to benefit him. I mean, th this this starts with, you know, one good thing to consider here is is they Clifford mentioned he had four offensive coordinators in six years. So again, when you're having turnover, you're essentially learning a new language. So those offensive linemen, rather than emphasize your technique within the scheme, you're learning a new language so you can talk about your calls, how to identify the defense, getting everybody on the same page. So having the return of the same coordinator, that should benefit them right off the jump where now they can, they can focus on their technique. But, um, you know, getting five guys to play as one unit and getting the tight ends involved. For the most part, when you have a one-on-one -on -one matchup, you don't necessarily need to knock somebody off the ball all of the time. It's when you have the double teams, when you have 600 pounds on 300 pounds, can you then generate movement? And how you do that is you have to, it's, it's peewee football. It's shoulder to shoulder. It's hip to hip. It's pad level. It's getting the guy lifted up and back on his heels. And then you drive your feet and generate movement. So I think foundationally, it starts with the fact that you're, you have an uh, offensive coordinator back for the same year. They should be able to, you know, you know, work on the technique rather than the new language that should benefit them. Um, just from the jump right away. Yeah, and I, I, Hack, you mentioned their defense. I think their defense is yeah. going to be really good. You got Joey Porter Jr., who could be a first-round pick. Jair Brown was probably one of the players on defense in the conference we didn't talk enough about last year. And P.J. Mustafer being healthy, I think yeah. it's bigger probably for leadership than it is on the X's and O's standpoint. But we saw that their defense took a step back last year when he got hurt. I want to move on to Michigan State. That was a team that was really boomer bust defensively last year. They had uh, the most TFLs and most sacks in the conference, or second most TFLs, excuse me, but they had the worst pass defense and the worst total defense in the Big Ten because they let up so many big plays. But you got 
Peyton Thorne back. You got Jaden Reed, who's a guy who I think is going to be one of the top playmakers at wide receiver in the conference. Certainly, Kenneth Walker is not walking through that door. That's a pretty big deal. Um, can they replicate another 11-win season? Simple question. It's it's concerning. You know, when I was looking at them, I said, hey, there's a lot more room for a step back than there is a step forward. And, you know, losing Kenneth Walker was such a big part of their offense. But again, it's it's not sexy to talk about this, but the offensive line is a concern for me because not only do you have to replace the talent at at running back, but do you have the guys up front to to generate movement and create holes? They finished spring ball. They finished spring ball with eight guys. They couldn't have a spring game because they didn't even have the depth to have two teams. So not only that, do you have five guys that you feel confident can be a beast and can start and, and help you out across the offensive line? So there, there's a there's a depth issue. There's a talent issue. And, you know, for Peyton Thorne, can he take the step forward? Well, he's going to need guys up front to protect him so he can get the ball to all of his weapons. So that's just something I'm considering. I think their offensive line play is going to dictate their ceiling this this fall. Yeah, I don't think – I think 11 wins is a stretch. They're going to have to have the ball bounce their way uh, on quite a few occasions. And as we all know, uh, we've seen crazier stuff happen. I mean, Iowa was ranked number two in the country at one point right. last year. So mm-hmm. – We've seen crazier stuff happen, but um, I, to your point, Jake, I just don't see it uh, with what they lost and what they need to fix and, and what they need to compensate for. I don't I don't see it on that roster. All right. Um, I, I want to get this one in real quick. and It's probably not going to be a quick conversation because I think all of us like this team right now. Uh, Maryland is a really interesting case made a change at defensive coordinator for their last two games, took a big step forward, but it's really the offense. That's the story. You got Leah Tungavailoa, who I think is probably the most underrated quarterback returning in all of college football right now at his high end. The dude is phenomenal. We've seen him at his low end. It's not good football, but if he can remain even killed mentally and emotionally, I think he can take that step. And then you've got Dante Demas Jr. You've got Rakim Jarrett. You've got uh, Jay Sean Jones at the wide receiver spot. Is Maryland in a window where they can compete a little bit? So the the thing for Maryland is I'm looking at their schedule right here. I see six wins. I can give them six wins off the top. I think that they'll 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 be for a you know they'll be playing in a bowl game. The key for Maryland is they're four and forty all time, Josh, against the Big Four in the Big Ten East, which yep. is Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. They've really struggled. Now they've scared those teams, and you know, anytime you have an explosive offense, you can compete. But I think program change happens in small steps. So now you have to go from scaring some of these teams. Can you steal at least one, maybe two of those games away from one of the big four? Um, I think that would be a sign. And, and I think they have the quarterback to do it. They have the talent on offense. You know, a couple of balls are going to have to go their way and they're going to have to be on their A game. But that's how they're going to measure their success this year. Can they steal away one or two of the games from the big four there in the Big Ten East? Okay, so that's that is actually a, a good point that you make because last year they beat all the teams they're supposed to beat. But you look at their losses: Iowa, Ohio State, Minnesota, Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan. Like they literally didn't beat the teams that they they needed to pull an upset on. And they made it to a bowl game. They won their bowl game. But I think key for them is probably going to be where they can steal a couple of wins this season. Um, Hack, as you evaluate this offense, I mean, what's what's the top end? Where can they be by the end of the year? I mean, I think they're very explosive. And, and, you know, when you're talking about top end, you know, 
who knows what that is, you know, stay healthy. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but I think their offense to Jake's point puts them in situations to be successful. But ultimately I think you make a great point. Like what's the definition of compete for Maryland right now, where the, when you look at the entirety of the program, like what's the definition of compete. And I think getting on a consistent run of bowl game appearances and then starting to not just scare some of these bigger teams in the East because of how dominant this side of the conference is, you got to steal them. And, you know, I, I'm going to keep beating a dead horse with some of these points because I think you guys covered it pretty well. But I think I think they need to start to see that happen more consistently um, for them to really be a riser within the conference. And they have some things that are working against them. You know, their backyard gets plucked by every single one of the big four in that yep. side of the conference. Yep. So, you know, you got to start keeping some talent at home, and there's a lot of things that go into it. But um, – you know, it's just the definition. And I look forward to seeing how explosive the offense is. It'll be fun to watch, but I, I just, I think it's going to be tough for them to emerge with everything that's going on in that side of the conference. Yeah. They're going to be a team that benefits when the big 10 goes away from divisions uh, mm -hmm. certainly because it's really rough for them right now. And to your point about talent, I think that there are enough guys in their backyard at skill positions that they can be successful. The hard thing is maintaining the lines of scrimmage because those yep. guys are certainly getting plucked out. Yes. And, and I, I don't think that there are a lot of great guys up front um, just heading into college. A lot of those guys are developmental in the first place. Again, this is the uh, field of 12 after dark big 10 preview show presented by bet rivers, like, and subscribe on YouTube. If you're enjoying what you're seeing, let's get over to the big 10 West. Um, I, I gotta say guys, a lot of people they're on the Iowa, they're on the Wisconsin. I think this is a great opportunity for the Minnesotas and the Purdue's of the yeah. world to go ahead and win that division. Saw Minnesota yep. practice is one of the best coached teams in the conference. People yep. really buy into that row the boat mentality there. They've got great running back room. They've got a defense that nobody's talking about. That was quietly one of the best defenses in the big 10 last year. And you look at Purdue second best quarterback in the conference coming in, in my humble opinion, that offense racks up yards like crazy, and they took a step forward on defense. George Karloftis is not coming back. However, I think that they broke through a mental wall. As I look at it, if I'm putting money on teams yeah. over in the West, my money's going on Minnesota and Purdue before it's going on Wisconsin and Iowa. Fellas, where are you guys at? Listen, I called the Minnesota spring game this year, too, and I, I knew that, that you know Minnesota's always been a solid team. But as you looked at it, I thought Iowa was going to take a step back. I thought Wisconsin, just Graham Mertz, he just hasn't evolved into somebody that, that gives you much confidence. I feel their ceilings capped with him at quarterback. And then it was like, all right, Tanner Morgan, he's been up, he's been down. He had a great season in 19, eh, not so much the past two years. What was the difference? What was their offensive coordinator, Kirk Sharaka? When he was there in 2019, they had one of the best offenses in school history. Now he's back again this year with Tanner Morgan being in his sixth year. He's a veteran guy. They got a great relationship. Last year, they dealt with a lot of tragedies. There was deaths. Um, there was off-the-field tragedies. It was a tough year for, for their offense. Um, but I expect them to be significantly improved. And looking at the spring game, they're going to get back to that modern RPO style, which is a lot yeah. easier and a lot more favorable for Tanner Morgan. And you said it. Joe Rossi has done a great job with their defense, their back end. They feel could be the best in the entire Big Ten. The safety position's locked down, and then they went to the transfer portal. They got two guys that really flashed in Beanie Bishop and uh, Ryan Stapp. Those guys flash. So that's it. That's a team no one's talking about, and that's probably good. 
I'd, I'd be buying Probably some stock like in Minnesota it. this year. Probably yeah. how they like it. They, uh, 2019, they had the third or fourth pass efficiency offense in the nation uh, with, with Kirk Sharaka calling plays. Mm-hmm. And Tanner Morgan was very decisive that year. And that certainly went away over the last couple of seasons. Hack, you're, you're taking a look at the yeah. West. I mean, where are you, you leaning? I think you talk about uh, – I'll, I'll continue on the Minnesota thing. I, the player I'm most excited to see and I think was one of the tragedies for that team last year on a lesser scale was Mo Ibrahim going down in that Ohio State game. And I am very excited to see what that kid can do. I think one of the themes we've talked about is offensive line. Minnesota always has that. They have big guys that can create space. And when you have a guy with that type of talent, it's going to take pressure off Tanner Morgan. I think it's just going to help the entire situation. Um, I – Absolutely love Aiden O'Connell at Purdue. Mm-hmm. I've, I've talked about it over and over again. I think the kid is one of the most pro-ready guys in the country um, in terms of accuracy, anticipation, mm-hmm. timing, ability to move, but not he's not a 4-4, four, 4-5 four, four, guy, but he moves inside of the pocket in ways that are almost Brady-esque in terms of slight slight movements to create that last half second to be able to deliver mm-hmm. the football yeah. where most guys would be bailing, getting the hell out of there. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Aiden O'Connell. Um, I think Purdue's got a shot. And I'm going to kind of throw a curveball here um, because of all the pressure and everything that's going on. But I think one thing you and I talked about, Josh, was Nebraska and yes, their defense last year. And I think they did a decent job in the portal. I think they may have some answers at quarterback. And I think I'm not buying stock in them. I'm just saying mm-hmm. I think it's one of those situations where it could work out for them. Um with all of those things considered, I thought that they were roster wise, not lacking talent last year. It was just consistently shooting themselves in the foot. I think a year of going through that, you're either going to make a change or you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go down with the ship. And I hope, I hope, uh, I hope Scott Frost over there understands the importance of that. And I think he's done a decent job up into this point. I think adding Mark Whipple is a big, big ad um, from coming from Pitt with Kenny Pickett. Yeah. So we will see. I think that's kind of my one of the teams that I'm not buying stock in, but who knows? We'll see what happens. All right. So let's move on to that conversation here on the field of 12 after dark presented by bet rivers. Uh, We want to talk about Scott Frost because I think you're right. This is a situation that certainly is uh, tenuous, but the talent is there. And and we talked about it last year. Hack. I I agree with you 100%. It was never a roster issue with them. And even Adrian Martinez, who was much maligned by the fan base, uh, that guy gave everything he had. And did he turn the football over a little bit too much? Absolutely. Was that a guy that you would want in your locker room? 100%. Because it's a guy who gave you everything that he had. Defensively, I thought that – Yes. And defensively, I thought they were solid. And you've got Garrett Nelson coming back. He's going to be one of the best defensive linemen in the conference. Luke Reimer came in at linebacker as a walk-on, finished with over 100 tackles a year ago. He's earned himself a scholarship in the few years that he's been at Nebraska. Uh, They were plus 63 scoring margin on the season and only won three games. All of their nine losses came by single digits. And those were to teams like Oklahoma, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. The best three-win team I've ever seen in the history of college football. I've only been around for 28 years, but by damn it, it seemed like they had all the pieces <laughs> in place. Uh, I, I mean, how much pressure is on Scott Frost, and where do you draw the line on how you define success for this Nebraska team this upcoming season? So, Josh, when, when we talk about the, the, the fact that they, you know, had a positive scoring differential but only won three games, um, 
you know, just as a side note, my first year at Michigan, we were seven and six. And in those six losses, they were close games. I think we were, it was six losses by a total of like 11. Most of those losses were by a total of like 11 or 12 points, uh, barring the outside of the Michigan State game. We came back the next year and were five and seven. So it doesn't necessarily mean much. And, you know, one concern for me, I think the pressure is on Scott Frost. Like, this is kind of do or die. It's one of those situations where, you know, your back's against the wall. If you don't succeed or perform this year, you're out. We saw how that actually benefited Harbaugh this year because you kind of just – you kind of take the leap and you just – you let it all out. There's no, there's no room to be uptight. You got nothing to lose. Let's go. One concern for me is the special teams last year. Yeah, the special buddy. teams significantly cost them games and, and – and, Josh, maybe you could talk about this. What does it say about your team as a whole from a discipline standpoint and a culture standpoint if you have poor special teams? You know, maybe you could run with that. Yeah, no, I was a guy who played on teams my four years at Ohio State, uh, and I, I made my money in the NFL basically covering kicks. And it's an integral part of the game. And one of the things that people talk about, if I had to rank football in terms of importance, I think possessing the football is the most important thing in football, NFL or college. And that's why I personally believe that more coaches should go for it on fourth and short situations, regardless of field position. I think possession of the football is key, but the next thing that comes into play is that field position battle. And people talk about those hidden yards in games. And I think it is really important, number one, uh, to be able to take advantage of those hidden yards. You, as a defender, if I have a team backed up that makes me feel better than if I got a team that's in midfield because I know yeah. that the percentage of them scoring points is going to be significantly less if they have to travel more yards, right? So just from a mentality standpoint, I can play looser. I can be more aggressive, and I think that's key. But the other thing about special teams is those are the few plays where you know what the outcome is going to be regardless is I kick the ball, the other team gets the ball. I know yeah. what's going to happen unless I have a stupid penalty and I mess that whole thing up and that messes with the psyche of a football team. And so as much as guys don't want to play on teams or as much as guys don't want to put the effort in on teams, it is an integral part of the game because it's a fraction of what you do, but it has such an impact on the outcome of football games. So to me, that's a program that needs to be spending a lot of time on special teams. And it's not yeah. just on the practice field, but you need to do the walkthroughs. And then when you get into the, the meeting room, Let's go over what special teams should actually look like. Like, let's break it down. We'll play good clips of special teams. We'll talk about what the anticipated outcome should be. And then we'll talk about what the importance of the outcomes are. Because if I can dictate the tempo there, I automatically have an edge. And that is something they certainly did not have last year. And it yeah. bit them in the ass more than once and in some really critical situations. You guys had starters playing special teams at Ohio State last year. Michigan had thing. starters. Alabama had starters. You got to put your ego aside and say, if I want to win a game, I have to participate on special teams. Maybe maybe if you're a starter, you don't need to play all four. But no, at least but you got to be covering punts or something. Yeah, yeah. But, but to your point, though, Josh, it, it, the outcome's known, and I think it's also one of the easiest segments of the game to change because ultimately it's discipline and effort. Yes. When you're talking about special teams, it's discipline and effort, right? Yep. I say that's easy to change. It can be hard, but it is, in my opinion, probably the easiest thing to change if you're trying to make a cataclysmic change to one of your teams or yep. one of your units. I think it's one of the easiest things to do. Um, so, you know, I, I – 
I don't think Scott, he's been around the game. He's a smart guy. I think he's looked at it enough. Um, but I, I think the teams, I think they got it. And if they, if they can put some stuff together, it's a wide open West. We've always yeah. talked about that, the way they've structured it. And, you know, I think Wisconsin's gotten really comfortable up there. Um, and to your point, Jake, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what Graham's got. So um, I, do or die, let the nuts hang, let it, yeah. let the fucker let the fly, man. Hang. Let the fucker Absolutely. fly, dude. So I think that's, I think that you're going to see that. And that's, right. that's kind of why I asked you that Josh is, is yeah. what does it mean when you have poor special teams and it, and it does come down to discipline and effort. And, and for, for Scott Frost, when you say how important is this year? Well, this is extremely important because, you know, I don't think, I don't think he has a job here at Nebraska if he doesn't go out there and succeed. It'll be tough. And I think that you can grade Nebraska's success on more than just wins and losses as well, because we're having this conversation. But do you turn the football over less? Do you have better special teams plays? Can you eliminate some of the stupid penalties that got you in some bad situations a year ago? So to me, even if you make a bowl game, if you're still playing sloppy ball, did you really achieve what you set out to do at the beginning of the year? And another point, too, is what you got to think about is where does Nebraska go from here? Is Nebraska yeah. any longer a destination spot? It's not. You have your we prodigal can, son. Right. So we, I think I think there's a lot of factors that go into that, man. Like I think Scott's got some stuff and he's got some leverage. But I, I think if, if if Nebraska fires Scott Frost after this year and there's no improvements, I think you lose Nebraska in terms so, of the, the, the landscape of college football. I think that is a very good conversation for a different day because I got some strong yeah. opinions on that certainly not a destination and you're probably looking at hiring one of those young whiz kid coordinators because I'm not exactly sure you're going to get that head coach who's done a really good job even at a small school to take a a leap of faith at Nebraska right now which is a tough situation Uh, but we're going to cut out your boy Shiano uh, hack I'm sorry to do it and I love him too but we got to get the show rolling a little bit we're going to talk about some of the marquee positions in this league is this more of a quarterback league or a running back league so let me give you some names here you got cj stroud obviously we talked about him aiden o'connell who we all like and respect leah tunga vailoa has been a point in conversation you got peyton thorne you got sean clifford as some of the veteran guys but then you flip it to running back you got braylon allen who in my opinion is the best running back in this conference at this point best contact balance best vision especially as a guy who came in at 17 it was tearing it up last year. Blake Corum is a, a guy who we're going to talk about a lot throughout the season. You got Trevion Henderson, who we've given a lot of love to. Mo Ibrahim is healthy. Going to get 30 carries a freaking game. He's a high-volume back. Uh, you've got Nick Singleton, the young guy at Penn State. And you got Chase Brown over there at Illinois. I, I mean, the, the high end of the quarterbacks is, is ridiculous in this conference. But we got the depth of the running backs and some really high-end guys, too. All right, if you're picking positions, where are you leaning on, the quarterback or the running back? I don't want to defer to the quarterback on this one. Hack, you want to lead it? <laughs> I think it's an interesting conversation in the Big Ten, yeah. right? I think when you talk about the Big Ten historically, it's it's been more of a running back, offensive line, defensive-driven league when you're talking about talent. Um, but I think Ohio State's really done a great job of turning that corner, and I think the direction of college football in general has started turning that corner. And at the end of the day, top to bottom, high school to the NFL – everything's a quarterback driven business. Mm. It's what it is. So when you're talking about competitors and you're talking about teams that can make noise, I think you need a trigger, man. You can no longer have a subpar quarterback and an elite running back and win football games. You Mm -hmm. need a quarterback who can compensate it. And we talked about it too, 
you know, talent wise, maybe Cade McNamara isn't on this list, but execution and the bigger picture of the position, I think Cade McNamara could make this list as well in terms Mm -hmm. of knowing his strengths, knowing the strengths of his team and his offense, and then doing his job play in play out. You know, that's how Brady's made his money. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do anything spectacular. He just does the monotonous, boring stuff exceptionally well. Yeah. And you can do it. So I think it's a quarterback driven league. And I think that's the answer across the board, man. And I, and I would try to tell this to, to Michigan fans last year is there is so much to the quarterback position besides yep. arm talent, you know, and, and Cade wasn't asked to do much in the passing game no. last year, Michigan state. He was, and what did he do in that game? He had a he had 400 yards. He gave it. <laughs> Exactly. We, you and I, efficient. you and I talked about that. Job, we did. We was, we actually that called was, that performance. That was something yeah. that we had anticipated was yeah. going to happen. And I think people who were reading the tea leaves of w- what Michigan season was going to look like, and also where college football was headed, knew that that was a capability there. But I think you're bringing up something really important, Jake, is that the quarterback position is much more than all the flash that we see at the top end. These yeah. cats got to perform regardless of what they see out there from the de- uh, the defense. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's kind of varies. It depends on the team too, because in today's college football, you know, the coordinators are making a lot of the calls and, and they're looking over to the sideline and it's up tempo. The coordinators are doing a lot of the pre-snap stuff, but what you would notice with Cade last year, and I can speak on them specifically just because I watched so much of them in, in understanding Harbaugh's offense, there's so much that goes on pre-snap, you know, you get the play in your headset. You then have to remember the play and speak it to your huddle. Your huddle then goes up to the offensive line. You might have shifts and motions that you have to remember. All the while, you're trying to dissect the pre-snap look of the defense. Okay, now you see pressure coming. Well, typically, your offensive line is going to one side or the other. You have to potentially flip protection. Again, still maintaining and remembering the play. Sometimes you have two or three plays called in the huddle and you're going to have to audible. And all that this in is 25 seconds. 25 seconds and then you have to do it efficiently. Then you have, and I'm speaking, hack. you can touch on this way more than me. Then you have to go back and execute your technique and throw an accurate football on time to a receiver that's in the right place at the right time and catches it. The, the mental aspect of the quarterback position I, I don't know what percentage would you put it at hack? Dude, I, I, I argue, I argue this all the time. I think the quarterback position is the most dependent position in sports because of what you say in terms of the mental side and preparation and execution and being able to do it consistently at a high level. But then the fact that we talked about it earlier in this show, you are dependent on 10 other guys doing their job at the same level that you're thinking and processing. So there's so many things that go into playing that position and to your point, I played in a very similar system with under Bill O'Brien my freshman year, my true freshman year. It was it was get the play in, readjust the mic if you need to. Hell, if you got a better play, get into a different play. It was there's so many things that happen in a small time frame, and that's like when you can see the beauty in that in a guy like Cade McNamara, and that's why I saw it. I, I think the kid did a great job at just operating, and that's one of the things that gets overlooked because it's not sexy. It's not it's not the 25, 20, 20 yard in cut or you know, the deep post that's thrown on a rope. It's, it's the not sexy part of the position that if you're actually watching, you're like, wow, you get, you get a much greater appreciation for it. I got a, uh, I got a metric that I was thinking about. I'm interested to hear you guys opinion to when, you know, a quarterback has matured. And I think it's how they use the snap count. 
if you watch Aaron Rodgers in the NFL, he's not, he rarely does he snap the ball with more than five or six seconds on the clock. And most people are saying, why? Well, he's trying to get the defense to show their hand and he's so good at it. You watch Patrick Mahomes go back to watch his rookie year when he played at the end of the season for Alex Smith and watch the way he manipulates the snap count. Now, snap count to me says, you know, you're trying to get the defense to show their hand and you believe in the in your preparation and your ability to get your offense in a pre-snap schematic advantage. But again, going back to the most dependent position in sports, everybody else has to be ready for you to use the snap count. That's so true. it's very interesting, bro. Like, it's like, you have Good to, point. you have to truly like, you have to truly be prepared every single day, practice walkthroughs, everything. And you have to be thinking at those next level points. And that's why I think the quarterback is such an important and integral position mm-hmm. in the sport. And it's going to be moving forward. Get an asshole like me on the other side. And I see that clock going down. I'm timing up. Oh yeah. Blitz. I'm, I'm trying oh, yeah. to I know you jump on, on the snap too. Right. So you guys think you got all the damn answers. And you Goes don't uh, let me let me let me give the case for the running backs real quick before we get into our, uh, <laughs> our power rankings, because it's interesting. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you guys on the quarterbacks. I think all the things that you have to do at that position is really important. We've seen it executed even at the highest levels by guys who have different skill sets, where in the national championship, we saw a Heisman Trophy winner and, and Bryce Young go out there and, and he was phenomenal the full year. And then on the other side, you get Stetson Bennett who most, if you ask Georgia fans, they probably weren't even happy that he was freaking playing quarterback and he wins mm-hmm. you a title, right? And so it, it hmm. there's a hundred ways to skin a cat at that position, but you have to be really good at what you do and you have to perform under all kinds of circumstances. But these running backs in this conference are really interesting. I mentioned all the names, but at Wisconsin, you've got Allen and then you've got Ches Malusi, who's a really good running back. And then at Michigan, you got Cormie, you got Donovan Edwards, who are two guys who I think are so versatile. They can give defenses a lot of problems. I hated playing against those guys because I don't know what the hell they're going to do. And I'm so worried about tackling them in the run game. And I got to go cover the son of a bitch. And, and he's a better athlete than I am. It's a tough spot to be in. Then you got Trevion Henderson. You got Mayan Williams backing him up. And then you go Mo Ibrahim. They got a bevy of running backs over there at Minnesota. You got Nick Singleton. They got some veteran guys over there at Penn State, some really good guys who are going to give you some good guards so they can figure out the offensive line. And then even at Illinois, they got a couple of bodies that you can roll in. And so to me, I think that the quarterback is certainly what drives the league. But these running backs give such an advantage to their offenses because you can be multiple. You can have guys with different skill sets and you can give those guys a blow. I said Minnesota is going to give Mo Abraham 30 carries a game because that's just what he brings. And he's the type of guy who wants to do that. They don't have to if they really don't want to because they got guys who they can roll in. I think that is a really important thing about what we're getting with these running backs here in the Big Ten. But uh, it's what everybody's probably been waiting for. You want to hear our preseason thoughts so you can call us dummies at the end of the year when we have all this all messed up because I think I know everything until I don't know anything. But Northwestern uh, goes on a hot streak run and wins the Big Ten West. And, and, and all they, of our, uh, they could do it because that's been their MO. You finish right. in the basement, and then you win the West if you're Northwestern. That's what they like to do. So you certainly cannot count them out. But I'll let you guys go. Uh, hack, start from the bottom to the top. Who do you have in your initial power rankings? So where's the first? You're going to hate this, but I kind of did it in pods. Of course you so do. That's I what have, you did last year. You're a big that's pods That's what guy. I do. I'm a pods guy. I have pods. Right. So I got Indiana, Illinois, Rutgers, Northwestern in this, like, bottom pod. That, in that order? Or just a no, pod? No, not in that order. Okay. They're in a pod. They're just they're so floating in again. space. All right, let's see this. Indiana, Illinois, Rutgers, and Northwestern in my bottom pod. 
That's my bottom just, four as well. But I, I, I think that's it's my bottom four. I think at the end of the day, it's interchangeable. Football's football. You never know what could happen. To your point, Northwestern could get hot. Who knows, right? I just think it's right there. Those guys, when you're talking about evaluating everything, top to bottom, they're in my bottom pod. The middle gotta, pod. I think. I think at some point you're going to have to pick an order because we got to make a graphic to pump out on social media, and we can't do a pods graphic. <laughs> no, Dagan can do pods. He can do pods. Uh, it's he, just going to be just, like a little just, bubble. He graph. just. He just. He's. He sent the message. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he's telling me right now. You got to pick. Uh, Dagan. All right, we'll come back to you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jake, you know. The Michigan man, of course, he's so It's a real academic school. I no, actually okay. have, uh, I actually have those same teams, and but my most confident is I think Illinois will be the best out of all of those teams. I, I think okay, so, Brett Bielema is. Well, that's not a lot of help. Yeah, but right. can we well, I have it. Okay, it goes. I have Jesus, Rutgers. I mean, Rutgers is at the bottom of the Big Ten. Okay. Indiana Ooh. is thirteenth. Northwestern is 12th. I got Illinois at 11, and I'm confident Illinois out of those. I think they are interchangeable. That's my order. I think I'm confident. Be the best coach team out of the group. I can I can attest to that. Who Illinois? Yeah. Good. Okay. Cool. That gives me confidence. All right. And then you want me to keep going, Josh? Of course. Okay. So then at number 10, I actually had Nebraska, and Mm. I I, again this is where it gets a little sticky. Um, I think they have the chance to go a little bit higher but I felt more confident that Maryland would have a better team than them this year. So I, I put Maryland you. at nine. I think Iowa takes a big step back, even though they're okay. going to have a solid defense this year. I think part of the reason they had so much success is they led the nation in turnovers, which yeah. helped their offense. I don't know that you well, can lead the nation twice. That's, that's a really iffy thing because I, I do the same thing. I'm like, can they do it? Can they do it? And I'm a dumbass they- because – because when you look at the stats over the last five years, yes. they have led FBS and the second closest team to them. They have led by 10 turnovers in the last five years. Okay. And so I, I go back to the same thing. Can they do it? Can they do okay. it? And somehow they do. But, but I'm, I, listen, your, your logic is not necessarily totally off. I don't disagree with the pick, but I'm just throwing it out there. They might be able to turn people over again. So I saw a stat last year. I was prepping for for a game, um, and I saw a stat last year that Iowa's defense had done something that no other team had done since the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. So the fact that we're associating the Hawkeye defense with the 01 Hurricanes (laughs) is just mind-blowing to begin with. But Uh, um, Okay, so I had Iowa at 8. Then I went Purdue at 7. And the, I, I, I feel the middle of this is so interchangeable. It I is. think Purdue could go much higher, but I have sure. them at seven. I went Penn State at six. Okay. I went Ooh. Minnesota at five. I think Minnesota okay. could win the West, but I did have Wisconsin just from a historical standpoint. Wisconsin at four. And then so you have Wisconsin up, over Penn State. Ooh, I have Wisconsin over Penn State just because 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 he's a Michigan Penn, guy. <laughs> no. all right all right now my I'm bias kidding, is showing I'm kidding, I'm kidding. but but i only say that because i think penn state's playing in the east so i had to rank like at some point i have to have a west fair team, point you know in there so do um i do i do because okay, that's that you're playing within your side of the conference it's going to affect your record at the end of the season so mm-hmm. um and in the offensive line at penn state scares it just scares me man it just it scares, scares out me. of me too Rounding out the top three, Michigan State, okay. Michigan, Ohio okay. State. I have Ohio State because I want to see – I need to see Michigan beat Ohio State and Columbus before I start saying the narrative's changing. But All right, good for you. That's what I got. It's an honest evaluation. Uh, I'll go. 
I've got at 14, Indiana. Um, and I've had the advantage over you guys of having watched most of these teams practice. So I think um, it, 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 I don't want to say it's more informed because I could be totally wrong, but it, it's helped shape my opinions of these teams. Uh, Indiana is going to have some real problems this year. Then I have Northwestern. They're going to have some real problems this year. Uh, Rutgers, because I think that they're better coached than those other two teams. Mm. I'm not exactly sure that the talent is separated by that much. Then I have Nebraska at 11. And I put Nebraska there for multiple reasons. I think the psychological aspect of this thing is really difficult for them. Um, I'm not exactly sure that they got all of their issues worked out either. So they're at 11. Illinois is at 10. It might be high for a lot of people. I think Brett's a great coach. I think DeVito coming in as a transfer is going to be big for them. They're going to run the football well. And I really do think that their defense has something cooking there. I think they still might be a couple steps away, but they're certainly improving. Then I have Iowa at nine. They got a real quarterback problem. Not exactly sure how they're going to be running the football. One thing I do know, their defense is going to be really good again, and they'll play special teams. Then I put Maryland. That offensive upside to me stands out. Then you got Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, again, a team that's going to have really good defense. They'll probably run the football as good as anybody in the Big Ten, but quarterback is going to be a huge question. And who they're throwing the damn ball to is a question for me as well. Then Penn State at six. Penn State's got a high caliber of athlete. Again, their running back room is deep. I like Sean Clifford at quarterback, even though he's been up and down. Uh, and I think their defense has a chance to be really good, especially in the back end. They've got guys that you couldn't freaking build on Madden if you wanted to hmm. back there. Uh, number five, Michigan State. Big question mark. I haven't seen this team yet. Um, kind of playing off of what I saw last year, playing off of the Mel Tucker mentality, playing off the fact that their defense literally can't be worse than it was a year ago within the Big Ten. Then Minnesota okay. at four, really well-coached football team. I think they got some pieces. I told you about that damn defense. Last year it was good. Nobody talked about it. Number three is Purdue because I like the quarterback play. Okay. I think that they have room to improve in the run okay. game, and their defense took a big step forward. And then number two, Michigan, number one, Ohio State, and those are self-explanatory. Wow. Fairly similar, enough parity though. Um, yeah. that, that'll I mean, make it the middle is Absolutely. a crapshoot, right? Right. So, right. I think we all had that pod that's going to be kind of in the bottom, but then the middle literally pick them out of a hat. Yeah. Like, what do you like? What don't you like? Week three, I would say once we hit conference play, we are going to know a lot about these teams. So, I think we should do a, a, a we should come back week three and see where I, we were at and then re rank them for the rest of the season. Heck, we still got to rank it from you. I think I think week one with Penn State Purdue is going to be a great test. Sure. To, sure. to which in, to in which, to, but I'm saying I'm saying within the conference, conference wise, to, yeah. to, to which to to see where each teams. team is, because I think when you look at Penn State, the roster's there from a talent standpoint, but is it there from a developmental standpoint and a scheme and situation standpoint from a play to play snap to snap basis? Are they going to put the talent that they do have in the best situation possible over and over again? That's the biggest question mark that I've had with Penn State. Um, they got a tough but, schedule. Oh, I know. I know. They but got I a mean, tough I, schedule. But, bro, everybody in the East has a tough schedule. I mean, whether it's home, away, like. It, yeah, I it's, mean, it's the crossovers that, that do you Auburn, if you're playing in the East. Yeah, well, the Auburn won, but, I mean, they, they made out decent with that last year. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, they did. Let's see what Penn State's got crossover. Yeah. Right. So, we got Purdue out there. Northwestern should be a dub. And then you got Minnesota. 
Feels, yeah, feels a little bit tough to me. Sleep on Minnesota, man. Don't I'm not it. sleeping on Minnesota. I'm, I'm not, not. Yeah. All right. No, not you guys, but the listeners. Don't sleep can, on Minnesota. Can you give us a, a ranking so we can get out of here? Yeah. No, I'm sticking with my pods, man. Dave's right, just going to have to stick with you guys. <laughs> All right, I, I mean, well. I, I will say, just not to spoil it, I had Ohio State and Michigan as one and two. Oh, so okay. Right. This is like the mean, one uh, thing we all yeah. know. You had them I'm in a, one and yeah. two. Yeah, Congratulations. I'm a, I'm a wizard with that one. But, right. you know, I think I think there's a pick in there. You know, we'll see what happens. Well, I thought this was a lot of fun, fellas. We should probably do this pleasure, guys. sometime yeah. soon. Again, like and subscribe if you liked it. If you didn't like it, still like and subscribe. Uh, because we need the numbers. But this was the Field of 12 After Dark presented by Bet Rivers, the Big Ten preview show. We think we know a lot right now. We don't know a damn thing. So make sure you stay tuned throughout the season so we can eat crow or we can take a victory lap on all the things that we got right. But for Jake Butt and Christian Hackenberg, I am Joshua Perry, and we can't wait to see you again.